This is Seba, the Southern Fried Witch, and today it's in the high 90s in Alabama, and it still doesn't keep me from thinking about the fall. I was walking around out there in the yard, and I saw beautiful leaves already falling on the ground. And of course, that might just be from the heat, but we all know that the trees know things before we do. There's still some time between now and the middle of this hot August summer, and bonfires, and pumpkins. And it's not just us witches who like that time of the year. But before we get to what you might call Halloween and what I call Samhain, around this time I like to do a heavy cleaning around the house. It prepares a lot of things, not just my house, but my energy. And really, clean is not the operative word here. That's not the correct thing. It really is more balance. I want a balanced house and some balanced, prepared energy for walking into this time of the year. After all, it's been just a bustle since spring, planting corn and pulling weeds and harvesting things. And quite honestly, that's a lot of energy out there in the air. And so today I wanted to talk to you about how I clean or rather balance my home before Sawan ever gets here. And my number one concern while doing so is just a little bit early to say this word, isn't it, in the season? But that would be ghost. And so today I wanted to tell y'all some ghost stories. Now I'm very particular about who I let participate in balancing my home or cleansing my home. I prefer to do it myself. You know, this may sound silly, and I sure do like a silly analogy, but when I teach my students about doing this kind of thing, I always tell them to consider wherever their habitus is, their abode, their house, their trailer, consider it like a vagina. That's exactly what I said. We have to worry about things getting out of balance. Us women... We already know that our vaginas naturally contain a balanced mix of yeast and bacteria. And if that balance gets disrupted, an overgrowth of one or the other can happen. This is the same risk you might run into when you're cleansing your own home. Now, some people could have left some bad energy trails everywhere. They could have stomped into your house and yelled or screamed, or maybe even you have. Something might have been sent. Something might have showed up unexpectedly. Something might have been lingering and decide to make itself a little bit more known, disrupting all kinds of things. But y'all, if you cleanse out everything, you are taking out the good stuff too. Now, I don't know how y'all treat your ghost or land spirits or if you even believe in that sort of thing. Don't worry, they believe in you. But it's been my understanding in my 53 years that there's a need for some ghost about. Specifically the kind that help you watch over your place or your land or your children. And if we cleanse out everything, 
just 100% clean sweep, we have a vacuum, don't we? So I want to tell you about my childhood, but only a little bit. We have to protect the guilty. I find it quite difficult to talk about my childhood because part of me wants to tell you how horrendous it actually was. But I do think that's best left unsaid. At least in detail. I grew up in a haunted house. An extraordinarily haunted house. There are so many stories surrounding that house, it could make its own book. But what I remember the very most about that house was that I had a mirror problem. I was a very small girl, I think maybe around nine. And the situation was such that things would actually peek out from my mirror in the middle of the night. It got so frightening that I would have to throw something over it and my mother would always take it back down. My mother was into parapsychology at the time. And I'm not quite sure what she participated in or didn't participate in. But I do know that there were a lot of seances going on. And I don't think that house was protected. And I know I wasn't. It took decades for me to get to the place where I could look back in that mirror. I kept it, you see. It had been mine since I was a little girl. And just because hooga-boogas were coming out of that thing in the middle of the night didn't mean that I wasn't going to keep it. I repainted the frame. As I got older, I started blessing the frame. I also told that mirror what it was allowed to show me and what it wasn't allowed to show me. And I do realize how much, like, Snow White this all sounds. But I'm 53 now, and that mirror is still in my bedroom, and we have a bit of an agreement. And those agreements are critical. There was a time in my life when I found out how much negotiation power I actually had. When I was in my 20s, I was bathing my two small children in the house that used to be a canning factory in the Civil War. That was one of the most terrifying experiences I've ever had. Because as I was leaning over, something just tore through. That's what it felt like, tearing through the air, creating a slice that it could talk through and screamed, boomed through that room. Everything shook. And I just froze because at first I thought I'd lost my damn mind. I'd done a lot of drugs when I was a teenager. This could have been a flashback. So I believed I was losing that mind until my daughter began to scream. It all happened probably in under a minute, but it felt like it took an hour. And then the baby started to scream. And my daughter said, Who was that man? I heard that. Where is he? So what I did was I said, it was probably somebody outside the window, honey. Now we lived all by ourselves. But I had to give her something. And she had to be able to sleep that night. It was easy to comfort the baby. I was a breastfeeder. But as soon as I got him to bed, I marched my ass back in that bathroom and I cut off the light because I was enraged. And I warned it. I said, if you do that again, if you scare my babies like that again, I will exercise your ass out of my house. I will throw you so deep into the ether you will never see anyone you ever loved again or hated. I made an agreement that it could talk to me anytime it wanted to. But if it caused one of my babies to cry one more time, scream ever again, that was going to be it. It did continue to frighten the cat, 
but she was such a bitch anyway. And we sold that house a couple of years later, and I moved further south. My grandma was still living, and my grandma was the only saving grace I had growing up. She loved me in such a way I'm not really sure, even though it sounds cocky, that anyone's ever been loved just that way before. Not quite like that. And I needed it. I was the black sheep of the family. Nothing I did ever made any sense to anyone. Didn't feel a whole lot of love growing up. So that ocean that would slam over me every time I heard her voice was really like a lifeblood. I understand now that she was loving me up against such a lack, up against such a deep, dark well, that it would take me years after she passed away to understand that I had to take that over. Nobody else was ever going to do it like that. But she was still living, and I was in the middle of finishing my dissertation. Going to school, raising youngins, all by myself the whole time. That wasn't very easy. So when she called me up and asked me to come up and spend the weekend with her, I told her I'd think about it, that I'd give her a call the next day. And the truth is, I just wanted a rest. I was almost 40 years old, and she'd always been alive, and I think part of my brain felt that she always would be. But she was just as graceful as she could be. And I went to bed that night thinking I would probably call her the next day and tell her I just couldn't pull it off. I woke up somewhere around 3 a.m. And I was frozen. I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. And it felt like I had been drugged. It was the strangest sensation. Because I also was sitting up. And there was a man sitting at the end of my bed. I'll never forget how he looked. He had a white t-shirt on, and he had something rolled up in one sleeve. It was very shadowy and dark, so I'm never sure exactly what that was. He had on work boots, like farmer boots, and he had a hat, kind of cocked to one side, and he never looked me in the eye. He looked straight ahead, sitting at the edge of my bed, and he called me by my full name, something my mother had never done. And I'm named after my grandma. And he said, baby, you have to go see her tomorrow. It's an important day, and you need to tell her how much I love her. And then he just went away. And then I suddenly could speak, and I could suddenly move, and I was still sitting up. And all I could smell was like cherry smoke in the room, but I didn't see any smoke. And I felt not afraid but completely thrown off my game. I don't think I went back to sleep. About 8 o'clock in the morning, I got my kids up, and we got in the car, and we went and we saw Grandma. And late that evening, when my kids were playing with her pennies, they were stacking all of her pennies and her nickels and all of her change that she had kept for them to do that kind of thing with. And we were having some sweet tea looking out the back window and she was biting. She used to gnaw on her fingernails when she was thinking really deeply. And I said, Grandma, I have the strangest thing to tell you. I had a dream in the middle of the night and there was a man and I described the man to her. And as I was describing the man to her, she started to cry just silently. 
and she kept looking out the window gnawing her fingernails. And I told her that the man said that I had to go see her and that he loved her. And she turned and looked at me and said, that's your grandpa, honey. And today is our anniversary. Well, now he'd been dead since my mama was 10. I never had a chance to meet him until that time. These are the kind of ghosts I'm talking about when we talk about cleansing a little too hard. I sure would have hated to clean my grandpa out. About five years later, if that, I moved to another place. I found my husband. My sons were getting older. And I was starting a new chapter of my life. And we moved into a house that was maybe built in the 30s. And there was activity all over that thing. Someone hadn't done any cleaning on that. We're talking poltergeist kind of stuff that I had never actually seen. Well, that's not quite true. As an adult, I remember the first night I moved in, I had a friend with me. And we went into the kitchen to get some cheese and some wine because the kids were seeing all the childhood friends and spending the night over there. And we were going to have a good old time women in their 40s left alone with a bottle of wine and both of us were witches so we were going to get up to no good and we've got all the things and we walked out of the kitchen and I'd forgotten to bring something I don't know what it was it was probably a wine cork opener and I turned around to go back in and just froze and called her over every last drawer was standing wide open every cabinet was wide open It was one hell of a meet, and it wasn't very merry, but whatever it was let me know it was there, and it wasn't just one thing, but that was the particular thing that knew how to move stuff, and he got really good at that. Glasses flying off a shelf, nearly hitting you in the head and then shattering on the floor. That happened all the time, in every room. If I would close my bedroom door, it would pound to get out. My son once thought I was locked in there. He was about 12. When he opened the door, he ended up in fear tears and wouldn't go back into my bedroom until we moved out of the house. But the story that comes to mind that's relevant to this kind of conversation was one night my husband and I were sleeping and the television came on. And it was on a ghost channel or a documentary about ghosts. And so we just cut it right back off. And it came back on. And so I changed the channel and decided to try to watch something else to go back to sleep because that kind of spooked me a little bit. Even a witch can get pretty spooked. And the channel changed back to the ghost documentary. So I cut the TV back off. And the TV came back on. And this continued about six, seven times. And finally my husband grabbed the remote and screamed, I said, off at it and turned it back off and I told him that wasn't a good idea you do not want to get into a screaming match with a ghost not like that anyway and that's when the treadmill came on and so by the end of the evening the thing I decided to do was make an agreement a compromise and just for that night I turned the television back on I put it on the ghost documentary and I cut the volume down and I went to sleep Things did tend to get a little aggressive whenever my husband was around. Didn't take me very long to figure out it was a male entity, and it was fond of me. 
not so fond of him. But see, agreements needed to be made. It was very important that I do that because I'd gotten that house by myself and then introduced my husband. And I hadn't done it properly. I knew there was something there. And I made a horrible mistake. I allowed another witch to try to cleanse it. The whole damn house went full tilt boogie. I could feel the anger in the air. But that wasn't the worst thing. We had a cat die in the middle of the night that was three years old out of no apparent causes. Doors would slam all night long. Lights would cut on and off. And just the general feeling in the home was black and dark and gooey. And the truth is, I will never know if that was him, that spirit that had made himself known the first night I was there, or whatever the hell was left over once he was gone. What I do know is that the moment I invited him back into my home, did my mea culpa, everything calmed the hell back down. And then we bought a little country house, and it has quite a history. I've been looking that history up for years now. We've lived here since 2012. And the first thing I thought when I landed here on the property was it felt so devoid of any ghost. I mean, the land spirits were there. You could feel that. You could feel the energy of this old tree. This tree has got to be at least 200 years old. It's a water oak and it's fantastic. You could feel the energy of the fig trees that someone had planted years ago, a 40, 50-year-old pear tree. We have a natural well. You could feel everything coming out of the stream that's below it. But the house, the house itself felt sterile, y'all. It felt like going to the hospital. It felt, no, 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 there's shit tons of spirits at the damn hospital. It felt like a cleaned out steel box. And so I started researching. Because I just don't like that. I really like a little bit of, well, fauna. (laughs) It's critical to healthy houses and vaginas. And there just wasn't anything here inside of it. Not really quite sure what had happened to it. I know some survivalist Christians had lived here and they thought that God had told them to do all this cleansing. They had taken all of the air conditioners and heaters out of the home and burned them in a big funeral pyre out front. Had crosses on the walls. Man, I tell you what, that shit's scary. Witchcraft isn't scary. That shit is terrifying to me. Get behind me, Satan, y'all. And so I started researching, and what I found was her name, and it ended up that it had been a farm, and the only one that was left was this sweet old woman, and that she'd gotten very ill, and it died out here. She had pigs or hogs and pens out back in the woods, and she had beautiful roses and even some azaleas we found in the woods. That were next to bricks that used to be part of something, an entrance to something. And I found that she used to have way more acreage than this and that all this surrounding property, 
She had sold off piece by piece by piece as she got more and more sick and inevitably passed away. So this one little tiny little tucked in piece of property well down a long shared driveway with all these other lots used to be huge. And so I started painting the house. I researched the colors that would have been done around that time, which was, I think, the first part of the house that was a survivalist house. Uh, Very tiny indeed. Was like the 30s, and it wasn't on a proper deed. And then I think the first deed itself was 40s. And there used to be some kind of underground, this is all crazy stuff, but underground tunnels that led off the property from the basement we have a cellar and a room down there that we call the kill room because it looks like something out of a Dexter movie huge thick concrete walls and it's just off to itself but I'm sure that's just for potatoes I hope and the more I learned about her the more I talked to her as I painted the kitchen that used to be hers and we rebuilt the porch And I planted roses and I dug out that azalea that was no longer where it could get sun and I put it over there by the water pump house and y'all really ought to see the property. I mean, don't actually come see the property, y'all. That, no. (laughs) We don't know each other like that, but it's beautiful. It's absolutely glorious. It looks like a wonderland and no one can see it from the road. Gorgeous stuff. Native everything. Flowers and the trees. And we tested our well water not too long ago. And my God, it's perfect. And I think that whole process of bringing the house back to life and painting sunny yellow in the kitchen And making biscuits on that stove again. That stove itself is so old. And singing and laughing and Christmas trees. I think it brought her back a little. Or someone. But there's this little room in the back of the house. There's a long hallway that you have to go to get to it. It doesn't make a lot of sense. A long time ago, we didn't need city inspectors to build rooms especially out in the country. So people would just build these things and and so you, you know, have surprise rooms. And I love this little room because it has the door to the cellar, which is kind of creepy and kind of wonderful all at the same time. Even in the dead heat of summer in Alabama, that room kind of stays cool and it's all in blue. And that's where people spend the night when they come to see me and they want to stay here. I have seven different accounts and where folks will wake up in the middle of the night and some of them are frightened and some of them love it. It depends on who you are, but what they wake up to is an old woman pulling covers over them. Some people see her, some people just feel her, but they definitively know that covers are being pulled up over them. They're being tucked in and I find it sweet. One of the things that I'm terrified of, especially in a horror movie, are those moments where the sheets get pulled off of you. Oh, God. I'd run to Holiday Inn so fast you wouldn't be able to see my ass move. So I reckon I'm lucky. I got a different kind of spirit, and she likes to tuck me in. 
and I don't feel a whole lot else around here. There was something sort of dark and lurky, but it was staying around the corners of the house, and a lot of my friends would say they thought they saw a shadow of a man. And I've been surprised to see something like that walk across the house occasionally. My husband and I like to say, something's wrong with my eyes. It's code for what the hell was that? And so I reckon I'm thinking about these things because as the veil gets thinner, I'm going to hear a lot more. I'm going to see a lot more. And if you're sensitive, so are you. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. If I do cleanse this house, this beautiful yellow country house, I'm not going to take all of it out. I just want to get it back in balance. There's been a lot going on this year, and I do believe energy can kind of have this residual thing going on. And it's important to sort of straighten up the house in case company comes around for Samhain. I want my ancestors to come say hi to me. And if that old woman is who I think she is, I want her to be able to live here as long as she wants. And I would just love to sit down and have a cup of tea with her. And if she was the former owner, imagine what good she can do keeping out the bullshit. You know, I think about it and it would just break my heart if I ended up for some reason being stuck on this plane and someone kicked me out of my house. And yes, I do hear the reference to Beetlejuice. It does not escape me. I just don't reckon it's up to us to believe or not to believe in ghosts. I've had a lot of folks ask me whether or not I believe in ghosts. My answer is usually, I reckon I will when I am one. Truth is, I think the whole question is ridiculous to start with. That's like asking me if I believe in a sunset. I mean, good luck taking that piece of sunset and handing it to somebody and going, here you go, here's a sunset. It's all refracted light and reflection and what your eyes see. Does it tend to show up every day? Yeah, yeah, it does. Does it exist in its own beautiful, unfathomable way? Yeah. Do I need to believe in sunsets? No. I just need to know that they're there. They exist as much as I do. And I think the question really is, can I keep the balance between my life and theirs? And the answer to that depends. Are we sharing a household? Are they amendable to a working relationship with me? Y'all remember, the veil is getting thinner. And one day, it might be us trying to get through that thing. We lay out milk and cookies when we're children for a pretend Santa Claus. Some of us lay out honey, tiny bits of bread for the fae, throw out gorgeous flowers and cemeteries and concrete vases. Some part of themselves must believe in a ghost. Otherwise, are they just prettying up an empty space? So as we slide towards this particular time of the year, ask yourself, what do I lay out for those who share my space on this earth? Some of us do mute feast for the dead. Some of us do ancestor tables or altars. And then, of course, we have Dia de las Mortes, the Day of the Dead. But it just seems to me that just because those things are celebratory and wonderful and probably easier to access spirits 
or those that you wish to talk to at that time that are not of this plane. But it just occurs to me that we don't need to wait for those celebratory days. While it's easier, I suppose, for some of us to get through during that time, it's my belief that they're always listening. It's my belief, for instance, that my grandma can still hear me. I don't need a special day to talk to her. And this is just as damn fine of a time of the year to speak to someone you love or balance out your house or your land just in time for the big day. And I reckon if the only thing that we lay out for our ancestors or for the spirits of our land and our home is a balanced space, that's something. You know, in my estimation, a witch's broom is good for a lot of things, including ramming it up somebody's ass when they act like a fool. But one of the best things a besom is for is for cleaning. It's that signifier and the signified that I've talked about in another podcast. It makes the whole act more visceral to sweep out negative energy, not necessarily spirits, but energy to clean up all of that gunk left over from when you were sad or you had an argument or even worse. Depression can leave one hell of an impact on an energy field. And so just picking up that besom and singing a little song and sweeping that all out the front door or if you're really smart, out the back door can make all the difference. Balance, I believe, starts in our head. But we've got to remember that we're part of something bigger. And we impact those things around us. Including ghosts. As we slide into this season, don't forget we're just wearing this little flesh bag for now. We're no better than anything else. Well, that's all for ghosts for right now. It's 101 degrees outside. And I left the beans on the soaker hose. So, y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the Deep South.